In this special edition of Monaco's House View, we look back at some of the year's best episodes on the stack. On this episode, we're live from Milan, where we meet Christoph Amend from Zeit Magazine, Julius Wiedemann from Taschen, and Mette Barford from new Danish architecture publication, The Arc Journal. Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Today in The Stack, we're playing some highlights from top editors and publishers that we met here in Milan for Salone del Mobile. We spoke with them at the Hyundai and Monaco stand at Via Tortona. To start the show, our good friend Christoph Armand stopped by to talk about why it's important to attend fairs like Salone. He spoke to Monaco's editor-in-chief, Talia Brulé, and of course, Tom Edwards. Fairs, as you say, like are interested in content because why do we go to Salona? Well, we don't go to Salona because of the fair itself. As we go to Salona because you can hang out with people, you can meet people, you can run into people that you don't know, be inspired by new ideas. That's why people travel to these kind of melting points these days. They mm. don't want to spend a whole day in halls with no But so light. I mean, it's interesting. So you're, here you are doing a fashion event brought to you by Mesta Frankfurt in Berlin. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the play is for them? Is it just an awareness to come to and reminding people that you can go to Frankfurt and you can go to a book fair? Or well, they're actually doing business in Berlin. Okay. So Mesta so Frankfurt is actually running a fair about sustainable fashion during Berlin Fashion Week. But of course, they're interested in content, in, in sort of the people we bring in and the talks that we are having. I think that's the same with our Cologne. They're interested in bringing in new people and having great talks about art, like Tino Segal is coming, Hans Ulrich, Obrist is coming from London. That's why they are interested in, in, in doing this. At the heart, though, I guess, of all of these great media brand stories which have these multi-platform elements, there's always print. We're talking about oh, the, yeah, of course. The, the pleasing appeal, enjoying appeal touching of, of analog. Paper, yeah. um, tell us a bit about the, the Zeit stable, because I'm always excited about your international uh, edition. We've got the sort of the men's magazine as well. And again, you guys were publishing more magazines. That yeah. was the answer to the kind of digital quandary. <laughs> and I guess that's still, it's paying off, it's working. Tell us yeah. a bit about how I mean, the, the state of the nation. Our main focus, obviously, is the weekly magazine that comes with Zeit magazine. But we've also launched a couple of spin-offs, like, as you mentioned, the International Issue, which is a biannual, the best that we do for the weekly, combined with some exclusive editorial also, we launched Zeit Magazine Mann, a biannual men's magazine. But then, more or less by accident, we also launched a line of city magazines, which happened because I was sitting with some people in our publishing house in Hamburg, and we were talking about the local market in Hamburg and how they could deal with the local market there. And then I just had this idea of, why don't we launch a city version of Zeit Magazine called Zeit Magazine Hamburg? And we did it as an experiment, as a one-off. So the circulation went up that week. Ads were sold quite well. So we thought, like, why don't we turn this into a regular thing? So starting off in Hamburg, we've launched Zeitmagazin Hamburg, which is a supplement magazine in Zeit. Then we went to Munich, launched Zeitmagazin München. Last year, we went to Frankfurt, launching Zeitmagazin Frankfurt. And this year, we're doing our first island issue. So we're going to the German Hamptons, Silt, in June. It's a great story because on one side, you have 
a quality approach to, to local journalism. You're able to go into an urban environment with, sorry, I have to just distract. There's like this in <laughs> blowing insulation, great. which I just thought there was this. I, a red, what is it, red there is, there is, there's a red Yeah, there's a big piece of plastic, which you thought was like a bag that sort of blew in. Um, People are filming it. it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like a, it's like a large sort of, I don't know. I'm yeah, not sure how it's working, but it, <laughs> there's a drone underneath it. Anyway, I can't even describe it over radio. Or, but anyway, I, I want to go back to the idea. What's interesting is here you have a franchise of local titles brought to you by a trusted brand like mm. like Zeit Magazine, and so you're bringing this, I think, this rigor to it, and of course, engaging a local audience. Cert goes up, but you know, as we were just talking about earlier, you're also unlocking a series of advertising budgets, and not just because someone has their own sort of local direct-to-home mattress company. But also, as we know, big international brands as well, you know, are also looking for a way to engage and talk to a local audience. We talked about Zurich just before we went on on the recording here. And you mentioned it, that there's so much happening in Zurich. And Tyler was saying that we should do Zeit Magazine Zurich. So, yeah, why not? Maybe not the moment for Zeit Magazine London. I think I tried to cut you before. <laughs> I know, we not talked the about right, it before. I didn't, not the right I didn't time. mention I didn't mention the B word. <laughs> I didn't mention it. Let, we'll see if we can get through a whole discussion Tom. without without going down that, that, that terrible avenue. And Tyler, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Chris was talking about Hamburg. Exciting things in the, rolling off the presses around Hamburg. Not Absolutely. to mention our... Well, this, this is the problem when you start to engage with Germans because, you know, suddenly <laughs> you, know, you think that... You know, we did one magazine and it was great. And it, it came out, you know, in decent time. But... I would say they're turning the magazine, and this is our friends at Niefenstummer in, in Wittingen, we're probably getting the magazine seven days earlier, so we've just only finished our April issue. And now That's here's, how we Germans here's, here's, want here's, to be seen. It, you know? But I think one of the beautiful things when we're, we're talking about the love of print, there's actually a little bit of a delight in terms of how the magazine is, is also delivered to us now. So it used to come in a nice box, we would get it from our friends in Cornwall. Now the new issue comes, you know, so tightly shrink-wrapped so they just can't move so there'll be no scratching of of course the black frame on our cover but there's tissue paper in between every single issue I mean it's oh um, it's, no they, they want to impress you no I mean, they, well listen they're doing they're doing a bloody they're doing a bloody good job in Nita's accent let me tell you <laughs> Christoph not the B word what about the D word just on, on, on distribution challenges how, how do you gauge this wherever we look in the world that's something that often we talk to indie publishers and often kind of making the magazines kind of the easy part and yeah, then yeah. the troubles begin. What do we need to look out for? I don't know, if we look a little further ahead, one year hence maybe. Have you, have you got any easy fixes for the, the distribution challenge? I've heard the rumor uh, that there is an international media company who's launching a store in Hong Kong airport, which could be a model. <laughs> That's what I've been hearing as a rumor on Salona. Yeah, circulating around these walls. Or Who's putting that rumor out there? I don't know. I don't know. We have to plant them with the right people. Uh, but in terms of like big picture business models, I mean, obviously you guys have so many successful uh, you know, offshoots. You have your core weekly title, all very robust. I mean, how, 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 how confident is everybody about well, how Well, I mean, the, the circulation of Tite, of the weekly paper, which comes with the magazine, is still at 500,000 copies. It's a good number. Yeah, and it's but it's also because uh, our subscription is so high. So there's over 300,000 subscribers, and part of them are digital subscribers, right? Because, I mean, that's why we're, we're talking about the fact that I think we need a new idea for selling newspapers and magazines out on newsstands. I mean, the newsstand system, and I think that the way that our products are presented need to be relaunched. 
I mean, dramatically, I think. And Tyler, that's interesting because that's, again, a, a conversation we've had so many times before. What do people need to bear in mind if they're looking at tackling that challenge? If not a complete reset, a bit of a relaunch, a refresh, are there enough stakeholders who really get that and are engaged with proper solutions? I think there are enough stakeholders, but I'm, I'm wondering, again, and not that we need to develop another conference, but maybe we do, which is actually bringing these groups together. Because Unlock I think distribution. I, but it's, <laughs> listen, I think just before Christmas or when people are planning their 2020, it would be a great idea. Because on one side, look at, I mean, you have, you know, big players, whether in certainly the city where Deetside is based, you, you have a group like Autofazand, which are mm. you know, incredible in terms of their Hermes logistics machinery. Of course, you've got players like Amazon. So there is a way in real time that you can get physical media to people. We've solved that. That works absolutely fine. The flip side of it, though, is the retail experience. And, and I don't think we have the right partners right now. I think so many of these companies, they want to move into a world of convenience, but convenience does not include printed media anymore. It is a world of Milka bars, and it is, it's LucasAid, and it's Coke Zero, but it, it's not something that you're going to consume. And I think it, one side of it are, are the retailers, but I was actually having an interesting discussion with, with SPB, the, the Swiss Rail Group, with a real estate team, and they say they really believe that they're at that point of, you can't go into a train station anymore, and it can't only just be a Migro store and a Starbucks, et cetera. They, ha they say, how do you, let's say not quite infuse culture, but they know they need to put something in between the sort of the Calzedonia underwear shop and then a Burger King on the other side. And they know it should be a bookstore. So this kind of commitment to what are you going to read on trains and, and how are you going to consume media, I think, Hopefully, I think the message has gotten through. And it, that does come down to the landlords as well. And I'm still thinking about the fact that to present magazines with tissues. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Well, I, I think, think there maybe, and who knows, maybe what we are talking about, though, seriously, is about a sense of occasion. I think yeah. that it's been so commoditized mm. that that retail experience, it's a little bit what we're going to try in Hong Kong. And hopefully, if, you know, if nothing else, it's an inspiration for the rest of the market. But until then, we'll all be in our trunks in Zult. I mean, I'm looking forward you're to being in North invited. Germany. Also good, right? <laughs> Will there be a party? Of course. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, you're okay. all invited. And there's like there's a direct there's a direct Zurich flight up to Westerland, so it's that's a, right. Also from Berlin now, starting in May. It's so easy. I wanted to ask you briefly about, I guess, a question that kind of draws a few of the strands we've talked about together, and that's the sort of the the, the emotional. We talked about analog, the tactility of magazines yeah. and and print. At somewhere like Salone, how do you uh, weigh up the kind of emotional factor here? Because we talk about digital developments in terms of design we talk about the human people you bump into is, is this sort of emotional aspect of great design whether we're talking about great design of a magazine or great design of a table is that given enough prominence do we sometimes risk losing sight of kind of the humanity that's involved here when I talked to Michele De Lucchi on the street yesterday he mentioned the fact that his new idea of building houses is based on the idea of the Italian town where you can walk around the inner city uh, within a few minutes and meet everyone and see everything and go and visit every store that you need to visit. And I think that's what we're all doing here in Milan at Salona. Sign me up. I want, I want to live in that village. Is it the global village again? <laughs> <laughs> Could be. We're back there again. Christoph, always great to see you. Thanks for coming to chat Thanks with for us. having me. Thank you. That was Christoph Armand from Zeit Magazine. And now, another stack-friendly voice, senior editor at Taschen, Julius Wiedemann, 
He spoke to me and Tom Edwards about the delights of Salone and Tashin's future projects. Absolutely, yeah. I think you try to come here as a sponge, I guess. You know, like everyone tries to do that. And just to suck in everything you can in a few days and digest that over weeks and months and so on. I'm looking for right now a way to do a book about product design that we haven't done for a long time. So what would be the take on it? And so on. And I don't have the answer, but this is certainly one of these places that you come to try to find some clues mm. for those answers. When we've spoken on programs like The Stack or Monocle 24 before, I always ask you about the health of the, of the print nation. You know, we're obsessed with publishing, whether it's big format books or magazines or newspapers, all the things that we, we love. How's it all going? I mean, are we still really confident about the future? Because you have so many good stories to tell, literally and metaphorically with Tashin. Are we right to be, to be confident, even if we take a sort of medium-term time horizon? There is always this challenge for us, in a sense, not to become mere decorative objects, mm. you know, when we do our books. And it, this is something that kind of it can annoy us because people will say, oh, I know these books are beautiful because you put them in a shelf and then you... So I'm always, you know, I, I take great pleasure when I hear people say, like, I went to the office of someone and I found this book marked with a lot of you know, post-its and so on because that means that people are using them. So we have a challenge in, in that field. Tashin does a lot of limited editions as well. So that's another part of it that where the, the object and the art aspect of a book has a lot of weight, carries a lot of importance. And we try to pay attention to that as well. But I would say that we are in a much better path than we were like five years ago. You know, I think there's a return to the analog in a sense that things are not mutually exclusive. That things can coexist. And I think people get really you know, excited about new technologies, they start to use them and say, oh, you know, then I can discard everything that was old. And suddenly people think, oh, you know, actually, you know, I can have both. And I think that, that is happening a lot. Julius, I have a question about Tashin. It's so interesting because I feel Tashin is so international. I think when you plan a book, you know, to release, because you're talking to a Brazilian, a Spanish, a Italian, every single country I go, at least there's something about Tashin. So do you have a citizen of the world in a way in mind when you when you plan your books at Tashin? I don't know if we do that consciously all the time. But of course, Tashin is this very cosmopolitan, you know, kind of very tuned to the current times. And having inputs from everywhere, it's almost in our DNA now that it's in a way we can't even distinguish that from our work anymore. I mean, that is certainly part of it. We, we care about that. We care... As we try to expand people's perceptions of what is culture, what is art, what is design, and what it, how these things play out in, in many fields and so on, having references, having a larger radar, I think it's a fundamental part of our curatorial you know, process because you give people more, a better reference than may, maybe other people. So we are, we, we try to think about ourselves as someone that thinks internationally. But I think that starts, our DNA starts with Benedict Asher. You know, when he started, he was always looking at, like, you know, if you're going to publish this architecture from here, then, you know, there must be someone doing this somewhere else. And so who are these people? Let's go talk to them. I think he was born like that. And I think it attracted people that think alike. And 
yeah, we think it's it's a good place to be. You know, look everywhere. Well, you you were a bit like this as well. I remember. Didn't you edit a newspaper in Japan? So there was yeah, a story. Yeah, I never I forgot <laughs> about that story. <laughs> no, no. I started off as a as a designer. This is the thing. But I think that my greatest advantage that I, I, I realized was a very bad designer. So the, <laughs> but the, so the so the best thing, my best decision was that I said, hey, you know, maybe I can design really well, but I can't talk about design. I can, I like design a lot. So I like to study how people think, how people take decisions, how how is the design process, and so on. So I started off as a designer in a uh, in a newspaper. Then I went on. Uh, to do art editing and art direction for magazines in Japan and then I eventually started with books. Well I wanted to ask you a bit about that design, the process of thinking about design, whether it's commissioning books about it or being an art director or how we look at designed objects, you know, here, even here at Salone. Is it for you a, an emotional process? And, and does it need to be? Do we sometimes, even if you're looking at industrial design, do we lose a bit of the humanity, that kind of rawness, an emotional reaction? Do we become too technical sometimes when, when we talk about design or write about design or when we even look at it? Is it important to retain that kind of emotional connection? Because I sensed even from the way you were describing Benedict Tash, you know, that idea about how to best cover it in print is an emotional response, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think emotional responses—they are—they are a fundamental part of this, how we respond to stimulations. But I think one thing doesn't exclude the other, and I think this is the difference between design, in a sense. I would include architecture and art and literature. So you can be very technical in a design, and you still have create incredible emotional experiences. I think. It is a challenge because, like everything in life, some people do that better than others. You come to a place like this and you're trying to find the best ones. You know, you hope, of course, to have a display of the best ones. It's not always, I think, obvious that, you know, I saw some stuff that I thought, like, very ordinary, like, stuff that I saw, like, five years before that I've seen in a much earlier stage in, in the design development. But others is like, well, you know, this is pretty mind-blowing. Someone really stopped and thought about, but, and it's still emotional. So I think the design has this duality that is the form and function, or form follows function. But there's also the whole emotional field that is human and will always be a, you know, connected to that. It, it can be through color, it can be through form, it can be even through a function as well. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of functionality for giving people stimulation, emotional uh, stimulation. So I think, in essence, one thing doesn't exclude the other. And I think good designers, they exactly, they manage both really well. Julius, we could talk all day. What's next for you? Obviously, a few days, I guess, around the fair, covering as much ground as you can, meeting people, chatting. Further ahead, lots more exciting projects. Can you give us any little steers as to particular things that you're particularly excited about at the moment? I'm here for exactly some time to, to try to you know, get these clues that I, that I think I need to make other things I'll probably tell you down the road, give you guys more precise information. But uh, this year, we're doing some really cool stuff. I'm really excited about a book I'm doing on the history of uh, science illustration 
and I in, in Milan is like an incredible place to be because you know you have the Leonardo da Vinci in a museum you see this because how much design in a sense applied arts or applied science you know play a role in everything we see here so for me even for this book that is almost like I'm, I'm finishing it it's like it has is a book that was supposed to be here Sally right now and I'm thinking like oh my god you know it's like <laughs> we, but we're gonna do that next year for sure we're doing a lot of things in architecture now that, um, that I think are quite exciting you know deep research books now they're, they're taking much longer to do because they have much better research I think that they had like let's say 20, 20 years ago and Tasha is gonna be 40 uh, next year so it's like a, it's a relatively birthday. mature yeah. and then we, we've gone through many phases but I'm excited about the prospects that we have in, in, in a lot of creative fields. Well, whether it's in London or Milan or wherever it might be, we look forward to hearing about that next chapter with you. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you very much, Tom and uh, Fernando. And then thank I, you. you know, I hope to talk to you guys uh, soon again. You're always, thank very, you so always much. very welcome. Thanks, oh, Monaco. Thanks, bye bye. Julius. Thank you. That was Julius Wiedemann from Taschen. And finally, a new title in the new stand, The Arc Journal, a beautiful new architecture publication from Denmark. Monaco's Tom Edwards met their editor-in-chief, Mette Barford. Mette, good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you here. What a beautiful day it is. Um, it's what, amazing, yeah. What a beautiful thing you've brought with us. Um, tell us a bit about Arc Journal then, because this is an incredibly beautiful magazine, uh, and it's pretty much hot off the presses just in the last 10 days or so. Yeah. What was the journey like to uh, get that all really, understand? Uh, Easy? <laughs> no, very, very, very hard work. But uh, we are so glad and it has been received very well. As I said, it's Copenhagen based to design an interior magazine. Uh, also, we have architecture in it. It's a paper magazine, 240 pages. The team behind it, yeah, we're really uh, into paper. We have been working uh, before with other, other magazines, but we really had a dream of making an independent magazine. It's an international, even though we are based in Copenhagen. Tell me a bit about that, because it's interesting to reflect on this ambition to really deliver an, an, an independent title. What's that about for you? Is it about freedom editorially, being able to kind of dream a bit bigger, be more ambitious? Why, why are you yeah. so wedded to that idea? You know, as you said, we really could see that there was a... They're coming more and more independent magazine, but it's very much within lifestyle and within uh, fashion. Mm. I've been dreaming of making also a magazine uh, about architecture. I can see there's a big interest today in architecture, not just uh, the sofa or the table, but also the spaces where the furniture is. And we wanted really to take that part also. Uh, so it was kind of dream within the last years. We wanted to do more than just a design and interior magazine. And I also think uh, right now, you know, most magazines, they are either fashion or design or interior, but try to make a magazine that also have art in it and architecture, design and interior. Now, what about the sensibility? Because people will have their own expectations about the sort of Danish design sensibility or the Scandinavian aesthetic. And now, flick through these lovely pages and you can kind of see some of that, but is it about reimagining that or challenging any preconceptions that people have maybe? Of course, we cannot hide that we are born in Copenhagen and uh, raised with Danish design. And also for this first issue, we wanted also to uh, reflect where we are coming from, what kind of uh, design we have been brought up with that was really important for us. So it's kind of yeah, a magazine that shows who we are. 
and that's also why we pay a kind of homage to some of the modernism in the magazine. We have a very interesting Paul Henningsen house and a very interesting uh, Finjul uh, summer house. Mm. We are not a new Danish design magazine. I mean, of course, we more think about the, the Scandinavian as a mindset, a way of thinking, a way of life not only about uh, Scandinavian design. Madra, tell me a bit about your background. Obviously, you're, you've worked on some well-known kind of projects before. Mm. Have you refined your craft as an editor, as a sort of a publisher in I, this area? I have been working with uh, magazines for the last 20 years, in fact, and I'm so lucky that I have worked more or less with the same group for the last 10 years, and that's also why we could make this magazine quite a short time and, and with this high yeah. quality. It's because, you know, it's a team that we've been working together for many, many years. Of course, we want new people come in, new freelancers, but as a team, I think it's really important that we have kind of the same mindset. Mm. Uh, and let's talk a bit about, you know, it's a uh, design week here in Milan. What about the sort of accessibility of, of great design? Is that part of this? Because I know you're interested too in this not being just design for design's sake or for the design sort of community. It's about being very democratic with it. Is that, yeah, is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. We're also involved in different projects here in, in Milan. We are in an exhibition called Perfect Darkness. Yeah, we are launching the magazine with different partners here in, in Milan. On the way here, we talked with the taxi driver and he said, ah, I love so much the, the design uh, week uh, compared with the fashion week because the design week is open for everybody. Everybody can go and, and look at the exhibition where uh, the fashion week is a close party, he said. So that was really... Yeah, in a yeah. way, very democratic. We like this, uh, we like yeah. this narrative. We, yeah. like, we like democracy. And what about that idea then? That is there something more accessible about design because it's more emotional almost? Is there a more kind of visceral reaction to design these days? People have a... It's more of a human story, right? It's not technical. No, no, that's true. Also, you can see all the exhibitions. I mean, it's, it's really... F- fantastic going around, see the installations at the company. They really put an effort in giving a and experience to people, you know, mm. the coming. It's not just the furniture, but they also want to tell the story about uh, the designers or the places they have chosen to show their furniture. That's really important. On storytelling then, tell me, when, if you've had a project like this, which is a big dream, and then you get your team together and you start looking at what goes into the first volume, what's that process like? Were you sort of battling each other for what to feature or did it all kind of... <laughs> Did you have a clear yeah. flat plan in your mind from I, the, from I, the I get-go? Ha- I, I really had a clear plan in that sense that we wanted to do a magazine that not only is about design, but it also has art and architecture. That it's not a silo, but it's a, like cross-borders, you can say. So that was really important for me. And we wanted to do it high-quality, high-quality paper. Uh, so we would have some Scandinavian stories. We wanted also to have some Copenhagen, but we also wanted to be international. But of course, as I talked a lot with our art director, you know, suddenly you are with a totally white piece of paper. So you yeah. can go in this direction, you can go in that direction. But yeah, working uh, together for that, that many years... I think we, we're used to, you know, work with tight deadlines. So the support for uh, Danish companies or international Italian brands, it has been incredible for mm. us. So, so it's so truly we're interna- really lucky. Yeah. And it's really kind of international, as you say, there's beautiful shots from Los Angeles. Do, do you sort of have a discipline about where in the world you want to go and, and when? Or is it just going to be on the merits of the houses you can shoot, the people that you can interview? I mean, the contact we have in Scandinavia is, uh, of course, is, uh, is better Incredible, than other places yeah. in the world. But also, I think for the first issues or for the first year, we really also want to say that, that Scandinavian has a lot to offer, you know, even though the Nordic 
style or <laughs> it's been for many many years but Scandinavian is a lot of different things it's not just one style it's it's more a way of thinking also now it's instructive that in your editor's letter you start off talking about your own neighborhood and mm. some of the luminaries you know we know some of these are incredible the real mm. superstars of mid-century yeah, yeah. Uh, Danish design is there a cultural advantage to, to, to living there do you think <laughs> I think so of course you know the schools that my daughter went to was an Anna Jacobsen school so I I mean, we're brought up with design. You go to university and you sit in design furniture. So I, I think we're really very lucky in, in that way. And of course, you're really lucky living in a neighborhood where you can see Anna Jakobsen every day <laughs> or yeah. Mons Lassen or Polke. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It yeah. Thanks, Matta. Thank you. That was Matte Barford from the ARC Journal. That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Maylee Evans. If you have any comments or queries, then feel free to write to me at fp at monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen again at monaco.com or on iTunes. But to end the show, let's keep it Italian, shall we? This is Voyager featuring Liliana with Italo Disco. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. La mia Pieno di rabbia, ma trovo solo voglia di te.